0: Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. A few verses from Mary Oliver's poem, Messenger. My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums. Here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. Good morning, my beloved friends. What wonderful words to hear and take in this morning. Standing still and learning to be astonished. You see, January is traditionally such a busy time and so full of activity at Trinity. We are turning our attention to a new liturgical season for worship. We're planning for our all-parish budget meeting that we had last Sunday. We are reviewing and describing in words and pictures the year we have just completed, As we finish the pages of the annual report and we are preparing for today's annual meeting this year amid our covid context all those things have still taken place albeit virtually along with many other tasks and projects including resurrecting our work to craft a vision of greatness for 2030 beginning a feasibility study preparing to welcome a new vestry, cultivating a new reimagined music ministry, designing new formation programs, fostering new community partnerships, and exploring more opportunities to serve and to be of service in our community. So I am so grateful this morning to hear Oliver's words on this day reminding us that as good and useful as all these activities are and they are to be sure, perhaps equally important is time for us, together, to stand still and learn to be astonished. That's what today is about on this annual meeting day. It is about standing still and being astonished. It's about looking back and looking forward. Today, usher in a kind of both-and reality. With each year we grow and serve together, I am more and more astonished at what God is doing with us and for us and among us and, yes, sometimes in spite of us. Seriously, though more than ever, when I do stand still, I am astonished And I find myself giving thanks for this community and the life we choose to live together day by day in Christ. At every turn, I see incarnate examples of God's love and mercy. Make no mistake, we have not arrived at the journey's end. We still have a long way to go and at what time at times will be no doubt a hard path yet, as we continue to choose revolutionary love and the path leading us ever into the heart of God, the heart of revolutionary love, we will make a way. And we are on our way. We begin by looking back over this past year. It will be remembered for many things, including one marred with significant pain and struggle. It has been a year full of lament, and grief, and challenge, and rage. And we do well as a community to always take time to acknowledge and honor that pain. And it is no small thing that this community has showed up for each other over this past year to share those burdens and to hold us close one to another. Beyond ourselves, we are also global citizens, mindful of the disparity this year has wrought It has exacerbated and highlighted the unequal distribution of wealth and access to housing, health care, education, food, and employment for so many people. As followers of Christ called to love our neighbors as ourselves, we absolutely must not turn away from the ravaging effects of this pandemic on so many especially those living on the margins with not enough resources and not enough support and respect. All of us now have been impacted deeply one way or another, and it seems we are nowhere near out of the woods just yet. Trinity's community has healthcare workers, therapists, nurses, doctors, lawyers, chaplains, social workers, factory workers, midwives, teachers, students, elected officials, government employees, tradespeople, school administrators, realtors, gig economy workers, retirees, parents, great and grandparents, children, unemployed, uninsured, first responders in every sector, as well as families with small children navigating at-home school and work realities. All of us all of us, have been forever changed this past year. We mourn the losses of life, of livelihoods, of homes, of gainful employment, of relationships, and of dignity and respect for all those who have suffered in body, mind, and spirit. So yes, even on a celebratory day like today, When we stop to give our thanks for the many blessings of this ministry, we must also stop and lean into the painful and challenging moments, trusting that God's love is found whenever we stay connected deeply with each other. We can, and I believe we must, do both in our commitment to be faithful followers. We are both and people we believe God, which is love, can weave all of this together, even when we can't, and especially when we can't on our own. Today's gospel lesson from Mark is another reminder of this both-and invitation as well. We take up right where we left off last week. Jesus has called his first few disciples and has now formally begun his three years of life-changing ministry among us. But before we look at the story, we need to remember who is telling the story. The gospel writer of Mark, like all the gospel writers, are gospel storytellers that come with a particular perspective, a unique vision. I would suggest an agenda, to be sure. This gospel, considered by most to be the first written down of our three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, probably came into being some 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what was Mark's purpose, his vision, his agenda? His purpose, it seems, was to articulate the reality of what he saw going on all around him the imbalance of power and persecution perpetuated by the ruling class, the Roman Empire. His was a clarion call of uprising and resistance. The entire gospel can be read as a kind of manifesto for those standing on the margin or anyone anywhere who was ready for a new regime those ready to challenge the forces of systemic oppression and instead claim the story of Jesus as their own, setting a new course, upending the dominant power structure, paving a way with compassion and justice, and leading towards salvation, mercy, and healing for all, regardless of class, belief, economic status, or influence. Make no mistake, this message was dangerous and heretical. It meant challenging the world at the time. It meant it was a powerful story, a story about a single man, a man named Jesus. It was a story calling all people, just like Jesus called Simon and Andrew and then James and John, to follow him, to become disciples to be students of an unknown rabbi who taught in a different curriculum altogether than what was being offered by the sanctioned government and the prominent religious leaders of the day. It cannot be overstated. This was a radical call, probably unlike anything anyone had ever heard before. In the context of a culture that absolutely was dependent on inequity, patron-client relationships, and vastly disparate economic classes, the notion of equal access, not only to food and resources, but even to God's love and grace and dignity and respect for all, regardless, that must have been as revolutionary then as it sometimes seems to us even today. Each story Each scene in the Gospel of Mark can be traced back to this overarching theme of resistance and revolution calling for an end to persecution and oppression perpetuated by the empire, a call to challenge expressions of greed, malice, racial hierarchy, and caste systems. It was instead a trumpet piercing through the hateful cacophony of what was and maybe still is. It was, and maybe still is, heralding in a vision of the kinship of God, a dramatically different reality. One that breaks down divisions built up by powerful regimes that don't value love and compassion and justice. One that cares about how we treat the most marginalized and often forgotten One that makes room at the table for every person, every voice, as a beloved and necessary participant in the kinship. And one that, quite frankly, calls to make love a public ethic and not just a private conversion experience. So today, when we talk and walk with Jesus, still at the beginning of his ministry, We see that this scene in the synagogue is another moment connected to Mark's overall purpose as well as another both-and moment. At first, we are told that this new rabbi is impressive to those who hear his teachings. The words astounded and one as having authority seem to convey that those listening maybe are even a little bit impressed by this unknown rabbuni. But then the story erupts, literally, as someone who probably has no business being in this sacred place, according to the temple norms, someone with an unclean spirit gets up in his face, shouts, and confronts Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't push him away. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't shun him. He attends to him. He attends to this man's needs. He sees him for who he is in this moment, seemingly unconcerned with the expectations of those gathered around him. I choose to see Jesus' response this morning as an expression of healing and liberation, liberating that man from what might have been burdening him all of his life. We can read this scene as Mark's signal that Jesus has come to oppose all the forces that keep us burdened and estranged from living our God-given lives. As a country, we seem to be possessed by demons. We seem to still be possessed by demons of racism, classism, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia, just to name a few. We act out of fear and we still perpetuate systems of oppression, both consciously and unconsciously. And Mark's vision sounds as radical and necessary to me today as it must have from the very first time it was uttered. What I love about this story is that what is unexpected happens in a house of worship and comes from an outsider, who, as they reveal their hurt, spark the unthinkable, attention, love. Yes, in the form of an exorcism, an awakening of sorts. It's a story of how God, or I would say love, comes into us whenever and however we are ready to receive it. So as we take time today to stand still and be astonished at everything love has ushered into our lives and inspired over this past year of ministry together, may we also not forget to take time to lament all that still weighs heavy in our hearts and in our lives. I believe that the two perspectives do not cancel each other out. We are, with love's help, both and people. The Church, at its best, holds all of this intention the church at its best is able to both respond without trying to fix or fade and be present to each other as we receive what is given, whether it's grief or it's moments of wonderful celebration. The church at its best, it calls that way of being out in our personal lives as well. God's very nature, it seems, is to come to us through love, as we too are called to be both and, not either or. That's what's so revolutionary about God, about this kind of love, about this kind of community. Being called to discipleship in the church, in its most stripped down elements perhaps, seems to be about three things. Following, becoming, And doing. Following the way of justice and mercy, becoming more and more grounded in this kind of love, and then doing all we can to choose words and our actions to reflect who we are becoming as members of the beloved community. It is work that takes courage, and it is work that takes our entire lifetimes. So I am grateful to have found a place and a people to dig into the work together, to laugh and cry and serve side by side. Trinity is so beautifully poised to take our next step towards the kinship of God, of love. Stand still with me for a moment today and be astonished hear the song reverberating around and in our lives and in our hearts. Well done, good and faithful servants. I want to end this morning with an adaptation of a prayer written by Alcuin of York, an English churchman who was a scholar, a theologian, an educator, a liturgist, and he lived between 730 and 804 common era. May these words feed our souls anew today and guide our feet in the days to come as we embrace all of who we are as followers working towards the beloved community where all are seen and heard, cherished, loved, and respected. God, go with us. Help us to be an honor to the church. Give us grace to follow Christ's word, to be clear in our task and careful in our speech. Give us open hands and joyful hearts. Let Christ be on our lips. May our lives reflect a love of truth and compassion. Let no one come to us and go away sad. May we offer hope to the poor and solace to the disheartened. Let us so walk before God's people that those who follow us might come into God's kinship. Let us sow living seeds, words that are quick with life, that faith may be the harvest in people's hearts. In word and in example, let our lights shine in the dark light like the morning star. Do not allow the wealth of the world or its enchantment to flatter us into silence as to telling our truth. Do not permit the powerful or judges or even our dearest friends to keep us from professing what is right, what is of God, what is of love. May it be so.